Schofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. All right, welcome in Reno, Cofield here at Silver Sevens. Come on down. Vegas Golden Knights came up a little earlier tonight against Calgary. 77 cent beers in that 6 o'clock start all the way through the game. 77 cent beers, bottles of Bud, Bud Light, and Mick Ultra. Good spot. You can play the machines here. Get your A play card. Tons of giveaways uh, each and every week. You can qualify for points, obviously, by playing uh, each and every day here at Silver Sevens. Angel is alongside. We got some good guest spots coming up. We'll get into uh, the world of college football and sports gambling a little later in the hour with Brad Powers. More on the XFL. We got the home opener of the Vegas Vipers in just a few days. So we'll talk to one of those players, one of the uh, defensive players for the Vipers in just a little bit. But right now we open the hour in Reno and in Vegas with the Big Four. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Four at four. Number four. So we were just talking to Xavier Pope about what some people in sports, and I think it applies to fans, but what some people in the sports media we'll call a lull or a slow period. I've never prescribed to that. I think it's completely ridiculous, especially here in the state of Nevada. There is so much going on. And as an example, we're getting ready for the March 4th weekend, which is completely insane. I swear every day I find out about some new sporting event that's going down. I'm like, wow, all right. There's going to be a lot of venues and a lot of events, and some of them are also out of town, you know, for example, uh, for both markets that we're speaking to right now. Uh, UNLV will be at nevada on that march 4th weekend but we've got a big fight here with the ufc with john jones return after like three years we've got nascar weekend there's some awesome concerts there's a big tennis event at the mgm grand garden arena so a lot of cool stuff going on that weekend of march 4th but you know when it comes down to it it's all about what's going on with the national football league uh, even now and even that weekend because the offseason is something everyone looks forward to because it's time. It's it's a time of hope, right? We've got so many franchises that are frankly pathetic. Once the season starts, the off season gives you hope. The draft, also some cap room, and I thought USA Today did a pretty good job with a write up of the teams that have the most upside, or at least well, could have the most exciting off seasons. One of them is already a winner. The rest are teams that are trying to get to that next level. One of them is. The Bengals, and when you think about it, the Bengals are still in pretty good shape here because, well, they got to work on this deal with Joe Burrow, but they won at a high level, and they don't have to pay Joe Burrow yet. And when they do pay Joe Burrow, it's going to be a little more backloaded, so it's not going to come into effect right away. So that's a team to look for because they're already really good, and they've got almost $36 million to spend in free agency, and they're in a position where – they can go in the draft and go, all right, who's ever at our slot? Like we might have a couple of needs, but we frankly can go best player available, which is a unique spot, and only a few, uh, few franchises can actually do that. Also on the list, the Lions are going to have a really cool offseason here, and they can nail it because, one, remember, they rolled the dice on Jamison Williams, so he's going to be a rookie, essentially a rookie next year. he got a, you know, a little cup of coffee recovering from the ACL there, so we got to see him. They've got 13 mil in cap space, and then because of the trades, you know, the Matt Stafford trade hasn't all, all of it hasn't kicked in yet in terms of the picks. Uh, Lions are going to add to the group they have now, which won eight of ten down the stretch. They've got four of the top 55 selections in the draft, and pick number six and 18. I think Seattle's going to be really interesting because 
Seattle outperformed expectations. And a lot of that was based on the fact that, hey, Russell Wilson's gone. It looks like they're going to tank. They didn't tank. Geno Smith outperformed what we normally think of Geno Smith. Now, here's the thing. The offseason will get real exciting and almost a joke if they overpay Geno Smith. And they've got big decisions to make there because they got a big number underneath the cap at 31 mil. Do not overpay Geno Smith. And then, you know, the last team to mention, we were just talking about it with Xavier Pope, who's a Chicago guy. The Bears have a lot of flexibility. They've got a high pick in the draft. They've got a quarterback who's just about panned out. But if they wanted to flip him for more players and picks, they could do that. And Justin Fields would be coveted if they feel like Bryce Young at Alabama is a more guaranteed prospect moving forward versus Justin Fields. They can make that call. So they're going to have a really exciting offseason. And if they don't do anything, they're probably going to get one of the best defensive players, prospects in the country in the draft. All right, number four. Number three. Check that. Number three. I thought we were doing big five. I forgot. We switched to big four about six months ago. Well, we got a lot of interesting local news when it comes to venues. This just came in from the local paper. Elon Musk and his boring company, the one that's uh, building tunnels underneath Las Vegas, with a plan of eventually having 69 stops on this loop. They've got three right now. And I think what they're dealing with is a lot of red tape in Clark County. And in Vegas in general, right? Because there's going to be parts of Vegas that you want to have. If you're really going to have an underground transport system, you have to deal with that. The state as well. Well, there's a little less red tape in dealing with UNLV. And this is interesting. If you go to the Thomas and Mac and you leave on the uh, Tropicana side of things, or we'll say the west side of things because there's a lot of Tropicana sides to it. But if you leave on the west side and you look out, there's another giant parking lot. Well, they've actually, they're in agreement with Elon Musk and his boring company to sell about an acre and a half of property near the Thomas and Mac. Uh, That would be the spot where they would build a station, which means they would build a tunnel to the Thomas and Mac, which is a good thing. We want more public transportation if it's actually functional. Now, the question with this project is, uh, do they have cars and and other automobiles that can go through these tunnels that carry more than four or six people? I think that's going to make it really viable but you know for a piece of property that really hasn't had much use uh unlv is going to get a, a set price on this they can't sell it i think it's a you know it's predetermined essentially they can't sell it at a discount so they're going to get a good amount of money for it and i don't know what number stop it's going to be overall because who knows when it's going to be done i mean the expectations will be done pretty quickly but uh, there will be a stop at thomas and mac which i would hope eventually leads to a stop at the airport and as i mentioned there's supposed to be 69 stops along the way so hopefully they get this thing going because we've made a big investment uh with musk and the idea of this tunnel system so let's get it going but uh, yeah there'll be a stop at unlv which will be good for the arena with shows and with concerts and maybe students can live a little further from campus and maybe we can get some cars off the road wouldn't it be a good thing in a city that's growing and growing and growing number two number two The growth continues all over the state, and especially with Major League Sports. We've got the Knights here. We've got the NFL here. Do we need more? Is MLS a Major League Sport? I would say it's close. You know, if it's uh, not a, a top four Major League Sport, it's in that group of, you know, five, six, seven, eight. I don't know that it really makes a profit. I think there are some clubs that 
make money. But I always question MLS because I think a lot of it is, and it's been reported as a pyramid scheme while they try to get things up going full bore. I don't know that people are making a ton of money, and Don Garber keeps mentioning us. He's the MLS commissioner as a candidate. Um, we don't have a soccer stadium. Now, The uh, there's an idea that if this big project goes down on LV Boulevard near Blue Diamond where they would build a NBA arena, a multi-use facility, a casino, some residential stuff, and it's a big piece of property, and an MLS stadium, uh, that would be the goal. Now, who are we in competition with? Like eight cities. And we were played the last time around. We had no shot. Um, And I think without a shovel on the ground and really getting moving on a stadium. I'm not sure how much to believe this. I also think there are better candidates out there. Would Major League Soccer work here? Maybe the soccer team downtown has been okay. You know, there was a lot of momentum at the start. It's not really well attended. Now we've got a USL team, the Las Vegas Lights, that plays at Cashman. Um, I don't think that's the best indicator of whether it's going to work or not, but it's slowed down a lot. San Diego already has a stadium. And here's the thing. This is crazy how far Vegas has come. We have a lot of sports here. And if MLS arrives in whatever, 2028, is it immediately going to drop in Vegas as like the seventh most popular ticket? Because that might be the case. If the NBA decides to come here before that, or if Major League Baseball decides to come here before it, how big would the MLS be? San Diego is a really unique market. With the loss of the Chargers, it is wide open. And, you know, I talk to radio people down there, and they're like, yeah, there's really no interest with the Chargers. We don't talk about them. On, like, you don't talk about your team. I mean, I know they left five, six, just five, six years ago, but you don't talk about them at all. And then, nope. We don't discuss them. They built that Snapdragon Stadium. They've got San Diego State football there. I think they've got, uh, I don't know, rugby or something. They, they want a soccer team, and they're already in the – uh, USL, they've already got the San Diego Loyal. Landon Donovan owns that, so I think we're being teased again here, and my guess is that San Diego gets it, and I'm not against, especially if it's paid for. You know, the uh, owner of the Bucks, uh, Wes Edens, uh, some other folks are going to put the money into this $3 billion project at the end of, I guess we can call it the Las Vegas Strip, uh, way down LV Boulevard. Maybe we have a stadium down the road, but I don't think we're getting the next team, so I wouldn't get too fired up about it. Top story. Number one. Let's stay on the same theme with the A's. We've kind of ignored this story all week, and we've heard more and more about a third site being of interest to the A's. Again, I don't know who's paying for this. Um, Big feature the other day on the Rio makeover and about $850 million going into the Rio, and that could include some sort of deal where the A's are involved, but how real is this? The Rio site, the Festival Grounds site, the Tropicana site. And the other thing is, I, again, we don't need everything here. And I'm not trying to be anti-sports. And, we, you know, we've got people who didn't believe VGK would work here. We, we had people who were anti-Raiders. Uh, both have worked. Both facilities work pretty well. Would have liked a better deal on the Raider Stadium, the Las Vegas Stadium deal. But at least you knew with an expansion team with the NHL, that Bill Foley was going to try. And whether the Raiders are going to do it in competent fashion or not, they're going to try. Mark Davis wants to win. Man, I still, I'm still i still scared of the A's and the organization that they are. 
even if they came here, would they spend the money? And then I see a, a story the other day. MLB owners create, quote, economic reform committee as worries linger over Steve Cohen's spending. So if you don't know who Steve Cohen is, he is the new owner of the Mets, and he has come in, and he is spending his money. He is delivering what fans want, and that is spending money to make money and taking risks, trying to freaking win. That's the way you build a fan base. By the way, that's what San Diego has done and if you don't know, San Diego, the 12th biggest market in the country, used to get rev sharing as a small market. Well, the Padres, for the first time, are actually going to contribute uh, more money than they will get. I'm not talking about the, the sharing of the TV money, but San Diego technically has now emerged as a big market team. And there are just so many teams in baseball who are asking for this economic reform. And right now, the A's are one of them. I'll repeat it again. I, is this a sport that we want to make a big sacrifice for? I mean, I think a, a good franchise here for six, seven months a year would be a BAFO investment. You know, even some land deals. It would be worth it. But is this the right organization? Because they're going to be part of this old guard that continues to sell this nonsense that Steve Cohen's and the Padres spending is bad for baseball and bad for them and just welfare for billionaires and I don't know, man. I ain't comfortable with it. And this story has me very worried as other people are excited about multiple sites for a baseball stadium. We'll see. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Big Ford 4 brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Call from anywhere in the state of Nevada. 766-1400. One man rush. Crossing round. Open and a huge game. And a touchdown for Vegas and CQ Sweeting. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. All right, rolling out on this Thursday, you hear some XFL action on the way back. XFL comes back a little bit earlier this week. We got multiple games going on today. So all over FX and the ESPN family. Tonight we have uh, St. Louis in Seattle. That'll be a 6 o'clock start. That's up on FX. Of course, Saturday, right here in town, the D.C. Defenders are going to take on the Vegas Vipers. Cashman Field, 4 o'clock start. We'll be running the radio call of the game on Raider Nation Radio 920. Again, that'll be a 4 o'clock kickoff. The announcers on that will be uh, Raiders, Latino voice, Harry Ruiz, along with our own Damon Cotton. Again, that's 4 o'clock on Saturday, Vipers game number two, home opener at Cashman. Wanted to bring in one of the players who's out there for what turned out to be an outstanding Defensive performance by the Vipers. One, Mr. Harriel, who's up, who's playing uh, in the defensive backfield. He joins Cofield and Company here in Vegas. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. So give me your impression of, of game number one and, and how it felt for you guys, you know, like the football you played. Did it feel like a big-time atmosphere? What was it like? Um, first off, it was very – it was a blessing for all of us. Um, all of us 
won that opportunity to be able to showcase our talents, to be able to play at the next level. I felt like, you know, offense and defensively, we came out prepared. Obviously, we came up short. But, I mean, for the first game, I felt like we went out there and gave our all. We got some corrections to make up. And I feel like we're going to come out on Saturday and have a good turnout. What corrections on defense? Um, just little things. Um, you know, getting stops, getting more three and outs, creating more turnovers, winning the turnover battle. Um, obviously, watching the film, you know, we did some good things. But, you know, it's not a perfect game yeah, um, if they put points on the board. So if we can get a shutout or hold them to under 10 points or whatever, I mean, I feel like that's a good game for a defense. You've played a good amount of football. What is it like on the defensive sidelines? I cover the sport, so I, you know, I work the sidelines. I work it for UNLV football. Um, what is it like when, you know, be honest, when, when your quarterback is struggling a little bit and then, and then there are pick sixes? I mean, you get, you got to keep it together on the sidelines as a defense. You can't start to get splintered. Um, yeah, I mean, for the most part, I mean, we have the offenses back. Like, they will have our back. If we had a bad game, yeah. they'll probably come out and score a lot of points. Um, but for us, it's more of, you know, picking each other up. Adversity is going to happen in the game. So if a mistake happens, the defense has to come back and get a turnover right back. As you're playing in the game, did you look around at some of your defensive teammates and you're like, hmm, that, that guy's – like, does that happen during a game where you're like, that guy's pretty good? Like, I didn't know he was, I didn't know he was that good. Like, were you impressed by anyone, you know, around you or in front of you? Um, well, from our team, yes. Um, me going to a smaller school – I never got to play with certain athletes like Deontay or Marvin um, Evans or Max or Rob. These guys, um, it's, a, it's a different level of football, and they showed me that, you know, at the levels that they played at, I mean, the, the athleticism and the potential is a lot higher. So I, I was really impressed with a lot of the guys, actually. So let's talk about your background. We're talking to uh, Mr. Harry. And by the way, we should explain to people, I'm not being extremely respectful of you. Your first <laughs> name is Mr., right? You're, you're, which which um, your parents are creative with the names given to you and your brothers and sisters. What Your brothers and sisters' names are? Um, so I have a younger brother. His name is Sir Mr. Um, I have another sister. Her name is Janiah. And then I have... I have Two other brothers as well, Frankie and Johnny. Okay, Frankie and, and Johnny I must be like. I have another sister yeah. named Princess Arya. Okay, oh, is that right? Is that right? Now, wait, is does one of your sisters? Is she at Stanford playing basketball? Yes, yeah, my, I have a sister. Um, she's a redshirt freshman at Stanford. Wow. Please tell me she's the smartest one amongst her brothers and sisters. Are you guys all that smart? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. she she's never had um, under an A ever in her life. So, wow! Yeah, she she's the brains of the family for sure. I mean, take advantage of that freaking Stanford. That's that's <laughs> really cool. I mean, that is really cool, and obviously, that's a big time program. In addition to, you know, getting a high level education. Um, so you went to Sac State. You're a, a Sac Town guy, but you know, uh, Adam Hill wrote a story about you, and Adam's normally on this show, Cofield and Company, and uh, you are a guy who transplanted here a while ago to Vegas. Explain to the audience why you initially came to Vegas. Um, so coming out of college, obviously I had the dreams of playing at the NFL, um, but unfortunately that didn't happen. I signed with the CFL. Um, around that time that I signed with the CFL, that was during the COVID time, and the season got canceled. So everyone on my staff got fired. That led to me being fired. And 
after that, I didn't know what to do next. Uh, so I ended up reaching out to Mike Davis, who is the head coach for the Vegas Nighthawks. Um, he got back to me and told me he had the opportunity. He was presenting me an opportunity to come out and play for Vegas. And what do you think so far off of the football field? What do you think of Vegas as a place to live? Um, I, I love Vegas. Um, I live in Vegas now, um, and I, I don't think I will ever go back to California. Um, <laughs> the right? atmosphere, the the bright lights, I just love it. Playing for the Vegas Nighthawks, the fans are so supportive. Um, they welcomed me in, and it, it felt like home. So. I don't think I would ever move. Did you actually like playing inside versus outside? Um, I, I love playing inside, um, but at the same time, you know, my, my whole goal was to get back outdoors. Mr. Ariel is with us. He is uh, one of the defensive backs for the Vegas Vipers. We're going to open up this Saturday in a 4 o'clock start. We're going to have the game over on Raider Nation Radio, 920. That's 920 a.m. with uh, Damon Cotton and Harry Ruiz on the call. So, Prepping for a game this time around, you're going to take on the D.C. Defenders. How much different is it prepping for this game versus the first where you really didn't have film on the opposition? Now you at least you have a little bit of film. Um, yeah, it, it's a little different. Uh, going into last week, we really didn't know too much about the team or what scheme they ran. And then obviously seeing the um, D.C. play Seattle last week, we have a little bit of um, a game plan on them. Obviously, you know, they might come out with something different. But, you know, we'll be prepared. And at the end of the day, everything, as long as we can control what we can control, I mean, the game is going to go our way. So I want you to explain the setup of the league to uh, people who aren't familiar with the new XFL. Where are you guys right now? Like, where are you prepping for the game each week? Okay, so, um, well, basically, we're in a hub city. We're all in Texas, Arlington, Texas, Dallas, Texas. Um and, you know, we all stay either in a hotel or some guys might go Airbnb or whatnot. Um, but at the same time, we're, we're all out here. Um, we meet. We go to certain meeting places. And then, we, you know, we shuttle. We take our charter bus to the um, practice field. And then we have our practices every day. And we just meet. And it's an everyday thing. So for you, which coaches do you get to work with the most as a guy who's playing DB? Uh, the D.C. is Chris Dishman. Obviously, the head coach is Rod Woodson, who's one of the all-time great defensive backs in the history of the National Football League. And then your position coach is Darren Perry. Who do you have the most contact with? Um, all, all three of them, really. Um, I, I feel like, you know, D.P. is our position coach, Darren Perry. Um, but at the same time, you catch Coach Woodson and Coach Dish um, – in our meeting rooms because, you know, they're DBs at heart. So, I mean, they know the insides and outs. And for us, taking the knowledge from them helps us and it benefits us in every way possible. What's the message they've gotten across to you in terms of what you need to work on? Um, For me, you know, just stay consistent. Be where your feet are. You know, never get too high, never get too low. And just continue to go out there, have fun, and make plays. And this is it's it's still sort of a new thing for you, right? It, I mean, it sounds like you have a very uh, your family's very much a basketball family. Were you originally going to be a basketball player? Yeah. So me growing up, um, I've always, I mean, bra- basketball was what was taught to me. So I mean, basketball was everything for me. I grew up playing basketball all my life, um, and then I started to play football. I played football since I was seven, but I really started to play by the time I got to college because I didn't start playing defensive back until 
was a junior in college. Oh wow! And and the transition playing basketball helped me be able to become a good football player, or as having the instincts, ball skills, the awareness around me. So I mean, I feel like basketball benefited me for playing football. Do you think you could have played at Sac State? Did you ask? Oh yes, yes, of course. Every every year. Yeah. Um, the the coaches were, they talked about it a lot. Um, people don't know that I was actually recruited from the head coach, okay. um, Coach Katz from Sac State, um, to come play basketball. But obviously, my scholarship was with football first, so my um, my head coach wanted me to just focus on football. Yeah, I was but watching. I do, some, yeah, I do wish I got to be one of those double sport athletes. Well, now you get to watch your brother. I was watching your brother, Sir Mister, and. Um, Looks like a pretty good prospect. He's a he's a pretty long kid for as young as he is. Yes, um, yeah, he, he has a bright ceiling for himself. Um, he's a six three freshman, so um, you know the sky's the limit for him. I mean, he should be the next big thing. And I also have two other brothers. I got one, another brother in the Pac twelve, um, Frankie Collins, starting point guard for Arizona State. Another brother that plays at Coronado High School in Vegas. All right, you drop a bomb on us at the end. I'm up against it, but yeah, next time we talk to you, we got to talk about your other brothers, and yeah, of course, everyone here knows uh, Frankie as well. Thank you so much, and we'll see you out of the game on Saturday. Good luck in the game. I appreciate it. Thank you. There he is. There he is, Mr. Harrell, one of the defensive backs with the XFL team, the Vipers. They play 4 o'clock on Saturday at Cashman. It's Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. So I wanted to go back briefly to what we were talking about about 15 minutes ago, and that is baseball coming to the state of Nevada and the A's, who I still think are using Las Vegas as a negotiating pawn. And the story that was out early in the week that there could be a third site that the A's are considering, which, you know, all of this is kind of bunk if there's no money to build a stadium and where's that money coming from so in addition to the las vegas festival grounds on lv boulevard across from the sahara and the property that the tropicana is on a trop and lv boulevard it was thrown out there the odas are interested in the rio and uh, rio was bought a couple of years ago for about 550 million dollars and that company expects to put about 850 million dollars into an upgrade of both of the towers. That 850 would be nowhere near what you would need for a Major League Baseball stadium. But, uh, of course, the owner is open to, you know, at least discussing with the A's what they would want with extra property. That's how big the property is. I think it's 88. might be underselling it. I thought I read it was 89 acres. Um, and they do have a lot of the, – the, a lot of it is parking lot space. There's a massive parking lot there, and that's where a baseball stadium – could go, and then I mentioned you know 20 minutes ago. My worry is, are we bringing a sport to Las Vegas and an organization that's not going to match what we have here? And what we have here is intense competition. Like you better try to win, and that's everywhere, no matter how small the sport is or the the highest level. Um, the Raiders are going to work forever because it's the NFL. But the NFL can do that. At some point, if the Knights are not good for a couple of years in a row, Knights tickets will be pretty easy to get. Like you have to win. We've seen that with. UNLV in football and basketball. You don't win, people will not show up. Uh, Some of the minor league sports, if the experience is not good, it's not necessarily just about winning, but if the experience is not good and the promotions aren't good, people will not show up. And that is the problem with the, the, the whole deal with baseball because if it was the first sport coming here, of course, everyone 
would be fired up. They would deal with the fact that the A's organization stinks and they only win 60 games a year and they don't seem to be trying to get any better. All they're doing is lining up a move or to get their billion-dollar deal done uh, in Oakland with the Howard Terminal. This is a hard place to get people to come out. People get free stuff here all the time. They get spiffed all the time. So the product better be a high-level product, and people have to believe in it. And some of the stuff that comes out of baseball about economic disparity and actually being down on owners who try and spend a lot of money, that's not good. It's not good. The other thing that's weird is baseball seems to be trying to not reinvent itself, but like with these weird tweaks speeding up the game, I hate to tell you, cutting 15 minutes off a baseball game isn't going to bring people back in droves. Um, everything's gotten faster in sports. You know, I sit here each week, and I didn't get to watch last night's episode. I'll, I'll watch it later today. But, like, that's why something as dumb as guys slapping the crap out of each other, that, that works. People just want offense, and they want it quick, and they want it easily digestible. And baseball is just a different sport, and we've seen traditional sports. Golf is doing okay, but people don't play as much golf as they used to. I know that. Um, tennis, there are some positives about tennis, but certainly tennis isn't as big here as it was in the 70s and 80s. Everyone wants fast, fast, fast. And while baseball can speed up its game by 10%, um, that, that'll help. Um, adding some offense, I think that that part is a good idea. I've kind of warmed up the last week or so to the no-shifting because, uh, as I just mentioned, slap fighting is, is utterly ridiculous. Like. <laughs> But defense and combat sports, so people don't even want defense. They just want all offense. And in baseball, it, it got a little sluggish, and it got a little homer happy, which is good in a way with home runs, but there's, there aren't you know big rallies. There's no more – not no more. I hate, I hate when people do that. But offense isn't what it was. So the, the shift going bye-bye is probably a good thing. I love the bigger bases. So let's get more, uh, more small ball going in baseball. That's going to be a good thing. Uh, so those tweaks – are positives and baseball does need that the the time shift of you know 10 minutes left it, it doesn't matter that much but i'll give you a prime example on the way back when we talk to brad powers college football is trying to in some ways speed up the game like cut the games down and football on both the collegiate front and the nfl doesn't need to do that while baseball does Company's eye on sports betting with Brad Powers. Let's bring in Brad Powers, college football expert, professional better. Brad, how you doing, buddy? Hey, doing well. Thanks for having me. So, I wanted to get your opinion on a bunch of things around college football. Um, and first, I wanted to get to some of the rule changes that are being discussed. And I was just comparing and contrasting to uh, what they're doing in baseball where baseball is trying to speed up the game a little bit. Um, I don't know if it's going to make that much of a difference. Maybe it's needed. Um, why is college football discussing some things that will – are they doing it for time of the games or for safety reasons? Have you Did you see the list that came out about potential rule changes? <laughs> I, I don't know what, what honestly what they're doing. I mean, I, I didn't hear any issues from this. This is something that pretty much came from left field. So yeah. uh, they can cry – say safety – but I mean, if it was all about safety, we wouldn't be adding eight teams to a playoff, and you got you know a few teams going to be playing as many as you know sixteen, seventeen games uh, if they're going to win it all. So I mean, if it's truly about player safety, that wouldn't be the case. So I, I don't. I guess they're trying to speed it up, but 
I mean, if you wanted to really do that, I mean, the the, the main root of the problem is, I mean, uh, you got 20 minute halftime, yep. and then I mean, it seems to me, I mean, and I've been watching college football for 30 years. I mean, commercial timeouts are uh, much more prominent than what they were 30 years ago. So, yeah. I mean, if you really, if it came down to it. And it was really about the time. I, I mean, again, it comes down to I don't know why. This just came out of left field. I'm, certainly, I mean, it's going to be actionable if they, they decide to implement all these changes. Yep. Because we've already seen scoring down uh, the last couple of years as is, and it'll continue to, to, to go down uh, if these changes are implemented. Yeah, ideas like the clock will run after first downs, except inside of two minutes and a half. Uh, clock runs on incompletions once the ball is spotted. You just mentioned scoring is down. Now we're going to try to reduce scoring more. And I think you hit on the elephant in the room. How about we be more creative and not have these super long blocks of commercials and put more stuff in game with signage and you know split screens and that kind of stuff. Um, I just I have I've never heard any or I've rarely heard people talk about the length of games. And and when they do, you're like, well then don't watch what like. We love this. Yeah. And we like comebacks, and we like high-octane down the stretch. It's just weird. But to your point about being actionable, I mean, how, have you even started to crunch the numbers on this? Like how much – I mean, how much time <laughs> – no. how, how many plays would be eliminated from you know, the overall game if, especially after incompletions, the clock starts running? I haven't crunched it yet. I'm going to wait until the rules become official, but, but certainly, I mean, it will – if you're running clock after incompletions, that is very tangible. Uh, so uh, I, I don't know if it's two points, three points, or whatnot, but but it'll be it'll be certainly much greater than zero than uh, a lot of the other changes they've implemented throughout the years. Brad Powers at Brad Power Seven up on Twitter, BradPowerSports.com. Watch the information that's going to start coming out from Brad once the spring games are played, spring practices are out there. We get more information. Like, it's coming soon, and college football is a lot closer than you think. Can I tell you, I am so hungry for college football that a guy pulled the joke on Twitter the other day and put up a video and had quotes from Justin Fields talking about how he'd been paid to go to Ohio State. And I was so fired up, and I, I didn't use it on the show for a couple of days, and I'm like, oh, let me go listen to the sound of this. And all I did was read the quote. There's no sound. It, was, it, was, it turned out to be a joke, but I, like, I would, Brad, I was so ready to go down this whole path of, like, Ryan Day, the same guy was whining about needing 13 mil payroll for his team. I'm like, what is he doing? You know, and like, how much trouble are they in? I was, I, I'm thirsty, man. I'm thirsty. So you, you quenched the thirst a little bit today. Uh, maybe it was yesterday, but you tweeted out, are some books starting to put up games of the year? Yeah, FanDuel already uh, put out game of the year. So about 23 games, uh, if my math is correct on that one. That's All right. A, that's a record. We never – Never had that before. And I love game it. of the year is Michigan, Ohio State. Those types of games are out already. Okay, I got like six games I'm going to hit, and uh, you know you're <laughs> you're going to be up on a lot of these. But uh, well, yep. first of all, I'll ask you: when you see a list like this, and do you do you jump at it? Are you going to wait for more numbers to come out? Like, are you ready to bet it? And I wonder what the limits are. I'm ready to bet it. Uh, you get as high as two dimes okay. is what I've heard. Uh, I'll say this: they are for February. They're, they're pretty good. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, they're pretty good. So, I, I did bet a few, uh, but nothing that screams, "Oh my God, I, this line's off a touchdown." I mean, I, I got a few that I think are like three points off. Now I would bet almost all of them since game week. But man, we are talking seven months out at yeah. this point. So, 
Uh, I think they're pretty solid. Uh, and I, I was right at pass, and I'm not afraid to make a bet this time of year, but uh, for the most part, I thought they did a good job. I am fascinated by Alabama-Texas, Bama 8.5, especially because of the quarterback situations and options at both schools. Yeah, so, I mean, it's ticked up a little bit. It's up to 9.5 now. You know, a couple okay. guys respect that Alabama. I get it because, I mean, at Alabama, I mean, you're just comparing last year, Alabama on the road was like 20. I just watched that game last week. Texas should have won, yeah. and yep. I think Alabama takes a step back this year, and I think Texas takes a step forward. So, mm-hmm. and that was one where I already powered I had him right around eight and a half. So, I that that one to me, it seems short considering what Alabama has been the last fifteen years. But you got to look at Alabama the last couple of years, and I could count towards ten or twelve games just the last two years combined. Where Alabama's in one score type of games, where where yeah, yeah, certainly you can make a case like last year they were one of the four best teams. Both of their losses were on the final play of the game, but they also had a bunch of close wins. Texas A&M final play. Texas game I just mentioned well, was a game that they easily could have lost, and Quinn Ewers got hurt in that game. So uh, I'm not surprised with some of these Alabama, these spreads looking a little short. For folks in uh, Reno and Vegas, this is a live show. It's a live show. This is not a best of Cofield and Company. Um, we're talking about games of the year, <laughs> and March is not here yet, but I don't care. It's awesome. Lines are up at, uh, in particular, FanDuel. Like, I'm completely juiced for Florida State and Clemson. Clemson's three. Is Clemson's O-line going to be better? What's going to happen at quarterback? And the other angle I love is Florida State is on the come. And you remember a couple of years ago when Clemson was big, bad Clemson, and they were basically crapping all over. Remember Florida State with COVID? And they're like, they're afraid to play us. Okay, Clemson. Yep. Florida State has players now. Let's go. They do. I mean, Florida State's number one in the country returning production. Uh so, and that's the Florida State team that I thought at the end of last season was top 10 caliber. So, believe it or not, I, you know, on a pure power rating, neutral field, and it's not a neutral field, obviously, the Clemson being, uh, you know, at home. But I got Florida State a point better than Clemson right now in my power ratings. I, I have not had any ACC team ahead of Clemson since 2014. It's been that wow. long. Wow. Love it. Brad Powers with us. Brad Powers 7 up on Twitter. Uh, Ohio State, no C.J. Stroud. Notre Dame, we think they have a new quarterback. We know they have a new offensive coordinator. Can Notre Dame close the gap between these two schools? It's eight and a half. Well, this is one I did bet. I bet Ohio State. I laid the eight and a half. I, okay. People are going to say, you know, that sounds a little steep with, with Notre Dame getting an upgrade at quarterback. But I think there's kind of some hidden value here. Uh, I think the crowd's going to be 50 50. At best for Notre Dame, I, I could even see a case where Ohio really? State has more fans. Believe it or not, so I think that's depressing. A big game, Notre Dame, and you're going to see a lot of red. I mean, a lot of red in that stadium. So, uh, yeah, I, I think there's some hidden value there. One of the greatest winners in the history of college football. Little Stetson Bennett is gone. Uh, <laughs> Georgia plays Tennessee. Is the number still at seven and a half? With Georgia favored? Yeah, it's still seven and a half. I made it nine. Uh, so another one that was a pretty solid number. Uh, you know, I think the more intriguing thing is if you run down Georgia's schedule, I printed off, or I, I printed off, oh my God, I sound so old, but I actually tweeted my exact, you know, power rating projections right now for Georgia's entire schedule. Average point spread is 30 points per game. The only one that is under two touchdowns is this Georgia-Tennessee game. So uh, they're still favored by more than a touchdown. That, that's by far their toughest game this season. And clearly, by the Ohio State numbers, Michigan is expected to be really, really, really good this year because they're a small favorite against the Buckeyes. 
Yeah, first time Michigan's favored over Ohio State since 2011. I don't disagree. Uh, I think uh, at least on paper, uh, on a neutral field, I got them right around Pickham. So, I mean, my early power rings actually had Michigan by three in this game, and right now Michigan favored by one. So not surprised to see the Wolverines favored over the Buckeyes. That's crazy considering it hasn't happened in 12 years. Spring practices beginning all over the country. I saw that San Diego State and the Mountain West Conference has started the other day, there was a good preview on the MW Wire just talking about their quarterback situation, wide receivers, um, some coaching changes that we're aware of here in Vegas because uh, UNLV had two of their guys who were fired actually picked up by San Diego State. So I'm excited to, to see around the Mountain West uh, what things look like. Um, I saw that you uh, just pointed out, if I can speak English, that your followers just went past 51,000. You always mention, hey, you know, now I have uh, – you know, this many followers, and they could fill up this stadium. You go on a stadium tour. I'm always very fired up for this time of year. Yeah. Have you started to lay out the stadium tour where you drive around the country and go check out a bunch of college football towns and stadiums? Yeah, it's completely laid out. It's going to be 25 Ooh. stadiums in about three and a half days. It's going to be like ACC, like the Virginias, the Carolinas, Georgia, really? Clemson type of deal there. So uh, that will be in July, but it's already laid out. I'm, I'm really excited for it. And Hey, real quick, let me give you a plug. Speaking of little team previews, I thought you guys did a really nice job with the UNLV signing day. I sat down, I watched it, I took notes. I thought you guys did a good job. Okay, can I can I counter with something? Because I saw yeah. you put out a little cheat sheet of uh, recruiting, right, and yeah. off season, and I noticed one of the points you brought up with UNLV was a, a low rated recruiting uh, hall. Um, yeah, but I think because they were ranked one thirty four, I think that was from twenty four seven. I, I've noticed yeah. 24-7 has kind of dropped off in terms of coverage of some schools. And what I saw in the UNLV recruiting class, because I, 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 you mentioned a major school. Did you, oh, you, did you mention LSU having like 36 new players in? Yep. So I think UNLV is going to have that number too eventually. Um, I think they have 31 in, and we don't know who's going to be out. Um, but one of the things in the recruiting rankings that I thought was a little flawed is a big part of the class for Barry Odom were transfers. And I think yep. he did get upwards of five guys who will immediately uh, step in as starters. So for you, you when you follow off season, it, it's got to be harder than ever with the transfer portal to kind of figure out what the true recruiting hall was. You're exactly right. For a lot of the group of five, it's incomplete yet. Uh, you'll get a better rating probably in the summer. Uh, you're right. I'm glad I watched that special you did because – I'm thinking, you know, oh, I mean, i got to go by 247's ratings. I mean, it says it's the worst UNLV class ever. Well, reality is after watching it, nah, I don't think so. Especially with that transfer class you mentioned it. I mean, to get Arizona's leading tackler, you got a quality starter on the offensive line from Buffalo. The LSU kid will probably come in and play just from talent aspect alone. So, yeah, I I, I disagree. I'm still going to post it because that's 247's rating, but yeah. there's some hidden value there, I think, on the Rebels. And I think when we get more information on uh, Nevada, the Wolfpack, I mean, he he did a – Ken Wilson did a, a wholesale changeover. I got 30 seconds left. I don't even know if you can get this in, but uh, how much college basketball do you bet? Uh, do you start getting heavy here with uh, the postseason tournaments into the NCAAs? I will be hot and heavy next week, full time, uh, as soon as the postseason tournaments. Because it doesn't require me to to know a, a, a player on a team. I just basic handicapping. Brad, you're the man. Always a fun conversation. Always can talk college football. And uh, looking forward to the convo next week. Thank you. All right. Thanks for having me. Take care. And by the way, thanks for the compliment 
on the TV show we did, I responded to that with a criticism. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, thank you. That was very nice. We do have to have a conversation on the college basketball front about programs that I think had a leg up when it came to recruiting and resources, as we call them. It is interesting now that NIL is around and a lot more people are at the table that Louisville, Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, Syracuse, Oregon have all fallen a little bit backwards to different degrees. Pretty crazy stuff.